Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Podcast Playground! Hooray! Welcome to the Taking a Walk Podcast, music history on foot. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. You can find Taking a Walk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, the Podcast Playground, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buzz Knight is your host, and join him for this episode with a rock and roll legend. Yorma Kaukonen. Yorma is a founding member of the Jefferson Airplane and Hatsuna, and he's also had a successful solo career. He's truly one of the great guitar players of our generation, and we welcome him to Taking a Walk next. Well, Yorma, it is so great to be uh, virtually taking a walk with you. You were uh, gracious enough to... um, take a walk with me on an earlier episode at the uh, lovely Fur Peace Ranch, but uh, this is the next best thing. It is. We're, we're, we're taking a modern walk here. How are things at the Fur Peace these days? Well, you know, the, the Fur Peace is, is moderately, uh, moderately uneventful these days. We're not doing in-person things now. We're doing a lot of Zoom stuff. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with the Zoom, and we're doing a lot of shows, so so that is very definitely happening, and um, yeah, um, <clears throat> our our company store is open four days a week, and people have been coming in and looking at the silo, and you know we're getting ready to. We've been doing broadcasting shows and recording shows, and the only thing we're not doing is in person students. Uh, you know, COVID changed everything for us as it did for everybody. And we're still trying to figure out what the next move is going to be. But so far, we're alive and kicking. Well, you're coming to the City Winery 
in Boston, June 23rd, and it's a great venue, uh, and it's just going to be uh, Yorma Acoustic, right? That's correct. It's Yorma and Yorma. <laughs> Can I be your road crew? I'm, I'm the easiest guy in the world. I really am. So um, the news broke that um, you and Mr. Jack Cassidy will be doing uh, the last round of the Electric uh, Hot Tuna Tour. Uh, Correct. Correct. Well, tell me the thought behind that decision. So, so yeah, I mean, things like that, you know, those are momentous decisions in our lives, of course, because we've been doing it for so long. But there's a lot, a lot of pieces in play here. Um, and, I, and I'll give you as many of them as I, I can remember off the top of my head. And this is not an order of importance. These are all pieces in play. So one of the things is, is that to do an electric tour these days is extremely expensive. And people go, well, there's only three of you guys. And I go, yeah, that's true. There's only three of us. But but if you got a bus, then you need a trailer. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, look, I'm not complaining about expenses because everybody's got expenses. But so that's the expense is a factor. Um, the the fact that that it you know at at almost 83, I'm still really pretty darn vigorous, you know. But electric shows take a lot out of you. But that's not the main reason either. One of the things I think is that, you know, we really, I, the only time I pick up an electric guitar is when I get together with the guys. I'm not one of these guys at Woodsheds by himself because I'm not a, I'm not a chops head in that way. I, when I play electric music, I like to play with people, and I need those people to play with. And we only get together when we're going to do a tour, and then we take some time to rehearse and get to know each other, et cetera, et cetera. So, so for me... Um, the electric shows, it's not as dynamic a living art form for me as the acoustic thing that I do all the time, either by myself or with Jack or with my friend John Hurl, but or Larry Campbell or a bunch of my other friends. There's just something more emotionally immediate to me at this moment um, about playing the acoustic music. And so, you know, and, and that's pretty much the, 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 the pieces that are in play on this. I get it completely. So, Yorma, you've always been a teacher yes. throughout your yes. life, and you've always been a learner also. Yeah. What have you right. recently learned or relearned? Sure. So, you know, I mean, you know, guys like me are always absorbing stuff. You know, guitar players are a gregarious lot, and, you know, and we're, you learn musical things and chords and this and that. But I've got this friend of mine named Frank Goodman. I've known him for many years. And he's, he was working in Nashville for a number of years writing songs, a songwriter, and he's retired now. But anyway, so he wrote this song called Where Are My Old Friends Gone? Come hell or high water, the crick's going to rise. We're still hanging on, but they're dropping like flies. Oh, Lord, where are my old friends going? It's sort of like, you know, it's a song that I can relate to. It's a kind of, a, it's a funny song, and it's a lot of fun. Anyway, the point, the learning thing, it's in the key of C. I've been playing songs in the key of C for well over the better part of half a century. What new is there to learn? And the answer is no-wise, probably not much, but in the way things are assembled, probably a lot. And all of a sudden, there's this superficially simple little song that just uses the normal C chord, C, A minor, E, F, I mean, just the normal gaggle of, you know, circle of fifths C songs, but they're so artfully put together, and you'll, 
And you'll be hearing it when I'm coming up your way, by the way, because I'm starting to do this song. And just these little licks and stuff like that. And it was so different from the way that I play. Normally, I just sort of assume things and make them mine. But in this case, I really like what Frank did. So I found a Vimeo video of him doing it, and I studied it for about a month. I mean, not to, so I could kind of replicate his moves that were different than mine, you know. Anyway, and so here I am in the first position seesaw, and guitar players will know exactly what I'm talking about. What more can you learn? And the answer is, you never know, and probably a lot. So since we uh, took our walk last year, the uh, the big talk has been AI, artificial intelligence. Oh, boy. <laughs> Where do you think it's going to do to musicians and to the music industry? You know, it's, it's, it's so... You know, as a big science fiction buff, of course, I'm all over this stuff, and there's a bunch of great series about it. I mean, but but I'm not a scientist, and it's like, who knows, really? I mean, I would like to think that on some level, there is some inherent quality to human, to the creativity that, that humanity is endowed with, if you're lucky, that will not be able to be replicated by AI. And I guess maybe the flip side of that, again, being a science fiction fan, is if the, is if I'm completely wrong and AI can do all this stuff, maybe we can learn from it. Who knows? I, I mean, I don't know. It, it, on many levels, it's scary stuff in a lot of ways. But as an artist, I really believe that there's, there's, a, there's a human quality that cannot be replicated by machines, no matter how smart. So I have a couple of um, questions from some members of the uh, Taking a Walk uh, listening audience. Sure. First one comes from uh, a gentleman by the name of Mussy, who happens to be my neighbor who lives around uh, the block. And um, he wanted me to ask you, the first album or uh, concert that you went to that uh, really got you fixated on finger picking? Oh, finger picking. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay. I guess the, the first time I became aware of finger picking, I was pro it was probably wow. I might not have even been playing the guitar yet. It would it would have yeah, it would have been yeah, I think it's before I got a guitar. It would have been the early 50s. And we went to I lived in Washington DC. We went to a Pete Seeger show somewhere, probably I don't remember where, Listener Auditorium, maybe, who knows. And just because I sort of was really entranced by what Pete was doing on the the guitar more than the banjo, but the banjo too, he's holding these fretted instruments and his both hands were moving and this music was coming out. And I remember that I made my dad bring me backstage and I made Pete let me touch his fingers and his finger picks. This is before I played. I met Pete Seeger a lifetime later and told him the story. He was not as excited about the story as I was. But uh, but I think that was the first time. And then then later on in the 50s, I started playing guitar. I was not finger picking. I was not really even aware of the possibilities of it. And when I was in Antioch College um, in the summer of... 1960, or the, the the spring quarter 1960, when I met Ian Buchanan, who's the guy that really taught me to play. I was there was a couple guys in the house that played fingerstyle music, and I got to see it. And when Ian took me under his wing and taught me to it, 
that was the deal. The next thing, of course, is when I was working in New York City and I actually got to see Reverend Davis play. That's awesome. Next question comes from um, our friend Mark from the uh, Cleveland, Ohio area. He wanted to know, um, you know, from all of the various offshoots from the airplane where there's been so much solo work and other projects that uh, certainly many of the band members uh, took off on. What are some of your favorites uh, from uh, your, uh, your, your, your co-conspirators? Wow. Well, you know, the, the, the airplane got me into rock and roll. Um, and when, and when I, when Jack and I split off and, and, and formed Hot Tuna, um, I think that we were in some ways going back to our first love. The good news for our first love with that kind of traditional music was, is it was heavily, I had a broader palette of colors as a result of my experience in an idiosyncratic rock band. But the point that I'm getting at here is I don't think I was really that much interested in, in where my co-conspirators were going because I really wasn't interested in their music, although I wish them success. I mean, we, Jack and I always joke, you know, about the Starship. We always quit the, quit the band before they make the big bucks, you know, because the Starship was a huge hit band of the 80s which we were not. But their music didn't really set me on fire in the same way that, that some of the earlier stuff did. Anyway, does that make any sense? Did I answer that question on some level? Absolutely. So on a um, recent episode of, of this podcast, we had um, the author and music critic from the, uh, the Bay Area, Joel Selvin, on. Oh, Joel, great guy. And... Um, I asked him about his relationship with uh, with Bill Graham, and um, <laughs> what he what he said is uh, essentially Bill always thought that uh, Joel worked for him, and uh, that was sort of the relationship. And I think Joel, uh, you know, took a lot of what Bill said, you know, with a grain of salt. Ultimately, sure. What was your relationship like with Bill Graham? So, yeah, so first of all, I, I totally get what Joel's talking about there, and I think he hit the nail absolutely right on the head. So so Bill was an interesting guy, and, uh, you know, we, we we met him doing a benefit when he was working for the San Francisco Mime Troop. We did a benefit for him. And at the time, he seemed to have organizational capacities that, that exceeded the norm of the sort of hippie consciousness that was San Francisco at the time. Uh, I mean, if you think about... The music scene in San Francisco, it, it almost was in a parallel universe in a lot of ways. And I remember that some of the people that I met professionally later on, there were bands from, you know, blues bands from Chicago, you know, bands from New York, bands from L.A. that really thought about us as sort of like bumbling amateurs, which by their standards in some ways we were, but we did okay. Anyway... Bill had a way of like sort of like pulling those bumbling amateur threads together. Again, he he started a very successful, you know, the the Fillmore, which lives on in a way to this day. He just had kind of had a ways of getting things done. But like Joel said, I think Bill always treated everybody as if they worked for him, which is why ultimately we parted company with him as a management company. But but Bill just got things done, and there was something. 
in spite of his his sometimes arrogant abrasiveness, there was something endearing about that possibility. I mean, Chet Helms, who was sort of like his counterpart with the Avalon Ballroom and stuff, he got things done in his way, but not in his not in a, in as predictable a way. So you're always um, looking towards the future in terms of. Uh, new musicians to play with to sure. inspire you you keep it fresh that way who are some of the people on the horizon that you want to talk about wow so so, so mostly i think the stuff that sets me on fire is is singer songwriters um I, i'm really more interested in the tell than I am in guitar licks. Although you never know when a guitar lick's going to pop up. Don't get me wrong, but I think that again, about it's about the story. And and re- earlier this year, a couple months ago, I got you know Mary Chapin Carpenter has been kind of like my poet laureate. And the songwriters I I like tend to be female. Uh, Gretchen Peters is another one, but. Uh, so Mary Chapin Carpenter did did this album, I guess, a couple years ago. I was unaware of it. I just stumbled on it somehow, uh, called Between the Dirt and Stars. And so I immediately got it on Tidal, which is a high-end streaming service, uh, and, I, and I bought the vinyl and all. You know, when I go crazy when I get stuff, I had to get the vinyl and the CD and all this stuff. And, you know, I've been listening to her since the 80s when she put her first record out. And just her, her the stories that she tells, you know, it, she's had pop hits also, but they're, they're not the most interesting songs to me, lyrically. But the, but, but the poetry of her tale just sets me on fire. And that, that's the kind of stuff I'm always looking for. Um, you know, Corrine Polwart, she, she's a, a Scotch Scotch. A folk-ish songwriter, very fond of her. Uh, Gretchen Peters, again, great songwriter. And that's the kind of stuff that I look for. Who did you uh, learn your storytelling from? Wow. I think that... Um, I think I just liked... You know, it's, it's kind of funny because on some levels when I was a kid, uh, I was very shy. You know, you'd have to make me talk. But once I get talking, I like to talk. And we've talked for a while, so you know, kind of know how I am. Um, and I've always liked reading. I've always enjoyed reading, and I've always enjoyed a good story. I don't think I, I don't think I specifically set out to find that, but that's the kind of thing that draws me in if there's a good story to be heard or tell. Talk about the uh, latest project on Red House Records, if you would. So, so, so we're not with Red House anymore. They've uh, that, that's an interesting story. Also, Red House was bought by Compass, and Compass is a big record company, and they, that's a national company. They really don't care very much about us. Good news for me is I don't owe them anything. Hot Tuna does owe them a record, but anyway. So we've been doing stuff with this with this company. Hurlbut and I did this stuff with this company out in uh, uh, in in France. This French company. Um, and they kind of, it's, it's sort of like a boutique uh, limited edition kind of thing. But we, they did the River Flows for us, but they do beautiful packaging. They do high-end vinyl. They let us do exactly what we want. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like a dream, uh, Culture Factory is the name of the company. It's kind of like a dream situation for artists. You know, we don't depend on record sales to make our nut, you know. But to me, 
people go, well, you could have just been streaming stuff for years like the kids do. And I go, I'm really not interested in that. I like tangible things. I liked, like I told, like the Mary Chapin Carpenter thing. I got the vinyl. I got the CD. And I, and I downloaded the high end, you know, the whole deal, you know. So... So yeah, so so to, so Johnny Hurlbut and I we're getting ready to do another thing, another record. I'm not quite sure. I think we're going to call it another life. Uh, it's after uh, yeah, uh, maybe I don't know. But in any case, we're going to do the same kind of thing we did with the two River Flows records, where we're going to get together at the ranch when I get home from this trip. We're going to get my buddy Justin Gwip, who's Larry Campbell's production partner and our drummer. It's going to bring a studio down. And we're just going to play songs until we get enough songs to fill a record. I love it. Well, June 23rd, it's uh, the big opportunity to see Yorma at the City Winery. Uh, Yorma, I'm so grateful for uh, catching up with you again, and I look forward to uh, seeing you play in Boston on the 23rd. Well, you, be you better stop by and say hello. You know, the, the, I love the City Winery folks. You know, it's really interesting uh, you know, I've been working for them for for a long time since they since they first opened, and I think they I personally think they do a great job. And and here's a funny thing for you, in Nashville, you know I've got so many friends I couldn't draw flies in Nashville until they opened a city winery, and and of course although the last time we played there we played the big room at the, at the Country Music Hall of Fame. So I guess I'm moving up in the world, but but for years you know we played the Bell Court, nobody came. Thank God I know people there, you know. But the city winery, the city winery has given me and Jack and my buddies a home, and we appreciate that. Well, you're the best. You're a treasure, and thank you for being on. Well, thanks, thanks for taking a walk with me. It's a, walking with you is exhausting. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, stop by and say hello. I'll be up there. Thank you, my friend. Okay, my brother. Taking a walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.